0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staten of Witz University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about a subject that is, of course, of great interest to both you and I, and it's media and telecommunications uh, and there is a revolution that is going on in Africa right now. Now, of course, everybody talks about the mobile tech revolution. Jack Ma, the CEO of Alibaba, was recently in Kenya and Rwanda. So we're focusing a lot of attention lately on the digital revolution. But there is another side to the digital revolution that a lot of people on the outside are not paying as much attention to. And this is in the form of digital TV. And in particular, because in the West, uh, I'd say most of well, certainly all of the United States, And I'm assuming that most of Europe has made the switch from analog TV to digital TV. Well, that switch is going on right now in Africa at different paces. Some parts of the continent are moving faster than others. But it is a very expensive transition and one that is extremely sensitive, in part because you cannot use your old television. So when we make the switch from digital or from analog to digital, It requires either a converter box or a brand new television, and it can be very, very complicated. But there is one company in particular that is leading the charge on this, and it's a company that outside of Africa, very few people actually know, uh, Star Times. And for our African listeners, they're going to think to themselves, what? Who doesn't know Star Times? Everybody knows Star Times. So just for the benefit of our listeners who aren't familiar with Star Times, this is a company that uh, goes back over 20 years, but back in 2002 they started expanding in Africa. Today they are active in 30 African countries with over 10 million subscribers and it is uh, now one of the fastest growing and certainly one of the most influential uh, cable TV, digital TV and, uh, and entertainment supplying companies. Uh, on the continent. So it is hard to overstate their importance for tens of millions of people, Gopas.
1: Yes, and StarTimes is playing a very interesting role in Africa. Um, Okay, a few things to keep in mind about StarTimes. It's a privately owned company, Um, so it's not a state-owned company. but it has very close links with with Chinese financiers or state financiers like the Exxon Bank for example and it is in a lot of ways acting as a as an interesting uh, it's a difficult to choose a word is it maybe not a proxy but as, as an interest, interesting kind of um, intermediary maybe for for Chinese state power in the sense that it, it carries a lot of Chinese state media um it is rolling out, um, Across Africa, it is the, one of the reasons why we decided to talk about this today. Is the fact that StarTimes has recently started uh, providing satellite TV access for a lot of very for a lot of uh, low-income areas in East Africa and West Africa. Um, so this is brings with it a bunch of interesting complications, um, and it also is now standing in for the for the Chinese state in, in in different ways by, for example, partnering with the UN to to bring HIV and AIDS education and awareness uh, to African populations. So it is playing this interesting, almost diplomatic role um, while also fighting, uh, you know, kind of the battle for, for the, the gr- kind of growing um, satellite TV market in Africa, which is, which is growing very quickly, where it is up against a South African company called MultiChoice, um, which is, you know, has in the past dominated satellite TV in, South Af- in Africa as a whole.
0: So, yeah, it's a very interesting situation at the moment. It is an interesting situation. And, and I think we should clarify, because you, you said it's private. It is private. But at the same time, it's a very classical Chinese company in that it has a very opaque structure. So we, we're not actually sure where the the ownership lies. It is quasi-private from all we can tell. Uh, but it does play a very important role. And a lot of people today are talking about start times as an extension of China's soft power on the continent. And it's for that reason that we thought it would be great to speak with an expert. And we we found one in Hong Kong. Danny Madrid Morales is a PhD fellow at the Department of Media and Communications at the City University of Hong Kong. He's done a ton of research and work on Star Times in particular, but also the media space and how the Chinese are engaging in the media space in Africa. Uh, very good evening to you from Hong Kong. Welcome to the show for the first time, Danny. Thank you for having me. Eric. Danny, let's uh, let's clear this issue up right off the tap. You know, tell us about Star Times, and you've done research on this. Who are they? What are they doing? And, and let's get to this ownership question. Is this an extension of the Chinese state, or are they, as Kobus kind of framed it, more of a private entity?
2: So that's that's a very interesting question to which I don't have an answer, because nobody really has an answer to that, right? So um, I think they, the answer lies in between. There's a there's the side of it that's uh, it's a privately owned company, but it is so closely linked to the uh, to the Communist Party and to the Chinese state that it benefits from all the political connections that China is making in Africa. So we've seen in several countries, uh, for example, in Zambia, when when StarTimes uh, was trying to get the uh, uh, option to, uh, to build a digital network, a digital TV network in, in Zambia, um, StarTimes got ahead of the others because of the connections that he had politically, locally and and globally. And we also seen that in Mozambique where the uh, now passed away daughter of the uh, president was actually the uh, president of Star Times Mozambique. So the political connections are there, even though in theory this is a privately owned company.
1: Danny, um, what do you make of the... the there was recently an interesting um, LA Times uh, report. Uh, the reporters went I think with... with um, Support from the Pulitzer Foundation, um, they did a big reports about the rollout of star times in Africa, and they were making the point that for the low the low cost point, uh, the cheapest option for for, for low income Africans, um, it offers that that package offers a bunch of African channels and then Chinese channels um, and the LA Times article was putting that in, in a kind of a rollout of Chinese influence via media in in kind of rural Africa. You know narrative um what did you make of that reporting and is that is that the way you also view it
2: the thing is that the process that satan has started uh in rural africa uh it's a very recent one so they started in kenya uh, approximately three four months back and then they started in nigeria as well uh, just a couple of weeks back to build this network of satellite dishes in very small communities in rural areas of nigeria and kenya uh, so we do not really know Yet, what is the impact that they are having in these rural communities? What we do know is that, um, as you said, what startups is being able to do is, it's providing a service at a very cheap price. And that service comes with two advantages for the local population. One is that they get access to thousands, uh, not thousands, hundreds of channels in some cases, dozens of of channels for sure, in most uh, cases. And those channels are usually local channels or international channels that local population would like to watch. But at the same time, StarTimes is providing a lot of Chinese content. And this content was not available to local population before. I mean, um, who would have thought that you would be watching a Chinese TV drama dubbed in a local language five years back? So this content is being also provided to these uh, rural communities. And what we don't know, unfortunately, is how many of them are actually tuning into those channels, right? That's always the question that we have with uh, Chinese media is that we have no question that they're all over the continent increasingly available all over different platforms tv uh, internet and so on but who is watching that's what we still don't know
0: now to be fair we actually don't know who's watching cnn or france 24 or russia today there are no real reliable ratings for any of these channels the international channels uh, in africa and many developing countries in part because they don't have a Cantor or a Nielsen rating service. So the Chinese are not alone in that respect. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask you about this, this, the content in particular, because the LA Times article, like a lot of, uh, of Western media coverage, and this was, again, written by two grantees of the Pulitzer Foundation, there was this implication that somehow there was something nefarious going on. That is, okay. that the that Star Times is pumping out Chinese propaganda in a way to kind of guide people towards a Chinese worldview. There's two ways of looking at this. One, you can certainly kind of take that, that this is all part of a big soft power agenda. Um, I tend to live by the rule of never assign conspiracy when mediocrity will do just fine. So there's okay. another way of looking at this maybe, and I'd like to get your take on it, that possibly because of their relationships with Chinese program providers, they're getting free or low-cost programming. So it's simply a business decision that they're putting in all this Chinese content. They don't have relationships with NBC or ABC or CBS or NHK in Japan. So therefore, they go to where they can get low-cost programming, fill up their network with that programming, and make a bigger profit that way. Where do you see the, the program supply side of this? Is it more on the political side, or is there a commercial drive?
2: You touched on a very interesting point, Eric, here, that I always say the same thing. When we look at what China is doing in the media industry in Africa, we tend to focus way too much, or maybe not us, but but generally Western media, as you said, tend to focus on this political dimension, on the uh, brainwashing dimension that is, is supposed to exist behind uh, the um, media engagement that China is having in Africa. But we forget that in many cases there's a very strong business dimension to it. So um, as you mentioned, one of the reasons why certain channels are available on StarTams and others are not, is the low cost. For example, you will not see CNN on any of the packages provided by uh, by StarTams. And one of the reasons is that CNN, being able to carry CNN on a cable network or in a satellite package, is actually a very expensive uh, product to carry. On the contrary, if you start carrying Chinese content, which is very low cost at the moment, um, that makes... from a business perspective, a much more intelligent uh, thing to do. And to that, I would add, for example, that uh, StarTimes has recently opened uh, and most of these packages available for African countries have started a new channel, a channel that only broadcasts um, South American, Filipino, and Turkish uh, soap operas. So that content is there because it's very cheap. And it's not only very cheap, it's also very uh, attractive to local populations. So you see that the kind of shows that are being available are the ones that are low cost. But I would also point out that there's a certain element of, uh, of, of uh, political interest behind the fact that this Chinese content being carried there, it's not only because it's cheap, but because it also shows or portrays China in a way that the Chinese authorities would like it to be portrayed, right? So I don't think we need to... We need to be careful, right? So we need to think of uh, the economic dimension of the relationship, but also there's a slightly certain... Uh, thinking behind it of what image of China does Star Times and the Chinese government want to portray to Africa.
0: Kopis, let me come to you now and ask you a quick question here, because as a media scholar, uh, you, you might have an interesting take on this. And someone who's you've written quite a bit also about the definition of soft power. Uh, A couple years back, you wrote for an academic journal that China is redefining what soft power means in Africa. So the traditional definition of soft power was written by Joseph Nye, former Defense Department official in the United States, now a professor at Harvard. And he said that it's the kind of antithesis of hard power, which is military power, but it's done through persuasion. And persuasion is this idea of movies, culture, music. That can be used to kind of, you know, get people to kind of see your way of, of of kind of framing the world. So the United States, for a long time, has been the preeminent soft power, uh, you know, country in the world. Today, though. Uh, soft power seems to be changing, and I'd like to get your take on how the Chinese are using a cable infrastructure and satellite infrastructure company to advance their soft power agenda rather than just relying purely on the content itself. I
1: think that nice coining of that, that hard distinction between soft power and hard power is very much a, a product of his own, you know, kind of position in the world. Um, because the U.S. was in at that stage in, in this position where um, there was no question about about its development status. Obviously, you know, kind of the U.S. was a highly developed developed country, and I think within that position, it was difficult for him to to imagine a worldview of being an, a chronically underdeveloped country. So, you know, the idea of this this kind of easy distinction between hard power which he in which he included financial power as part of, as hard power so, he, so the the idea that that uh, that a country can use loans for example to to get other countries to do what it wants um, you know he made a, that kind of clean decision between that and stuff like like pop culture for example that 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 would be persuasive um, in a soft power way um I tend to think that it, that China's blurring those distinctions in Africa um, and that it is less the content of the culture and, as you say, the, the the provision of the networks that is that is kind of making the real impact. Um, however, at the same time, the Chinese are putting a lot of work into making Chinese culture and also including pop culture more accessible to Africans. So Star Times has a, a dubbing and production facility in Nairobi now where they are just dubbing Chinese soap operas you know, into local languages, um, you know around the clock. Um, so th- so the impact of that is going to be very interesting. Um, but I have recently been doing um, some more research and Daniel, actually I want to ask you, just as you know also a media academic, your your um, approach to this. So I did a, a I did a study recently where I looked at a bunch of um, of Xinhua uh, articles, uh, or Xinhua news news clips about Africa. Particularly about China-Africa relations, and so I just I asked this question: Is this propaganda? Yes or no? You know, kind of like using using a a list of criteria, and which I then tested, and they clearly are propaganda. You know, I mean, they they clearly you know in, in in the classical sense of no no you know no negative aspect being admitted. You know, only praise being you know kind of being uh, you know the, every single thing is praising China-Africa relations in in a different kind of way. Um, and then I started asking myself, so how useful is it to call it propaganda now? Um, and it's, I suddenly, you know, realised that calling it propaganda is essentially taking power away from the African population that it's, you know, consuming this news. It it, it turns them. Into this, this kind of mind, these mindless, manipulated people, um, and it suddenly occurred to me that there's an ethical dimension to calling something propaganda or calling it something like like soft power expansion, for example, or public diplomacy. Um, Danny, I have like is this something that you're dealing with as well? And and, and w- where do you fall on that that public diplomacy propaganda line?
2: I think that it's it's becoming increasingly complicated because um, when we started looking at um, the way China was approaching uh, the African media sector. We started with very small interventions, right? So there was this radio station that opened in Nairobi, then we had China Daily opening a, uh, an African edition and so on. But it, the dimensions that it's gotten into, like, it's grown so big that I think it is difficult to think of it as a single. Uh, state-directed intervention into Africa. And Stardom is a perfect example, right? So I was thinking when you were uh, discussing before, for example, uh, when I was growing up in Spain, uh, we would also get um, satellite dish, and the satellite dish that uh, the satellite provider that we had in my my house came from Germany. And all the content that we would get was mostly German TV stations and German uh, TV shows and German sports and so on. Uh, And I don't think that anybody at that time would have thought that, what I was watching when I was watching that content was uh, German soft power or German public diplomacy. And obviously at the time, those two concepts were not very popular. So um, what I find interesting here is that, um, and as you said, we might be in need of, of dropping the idea of soft power and public diplomacy and start thinking of, of purely uh, uh, more general terms. I mean, Sartan is obviously doing something that the Chinese government is happy, and that is that it's providing content uh, from China to African audiences, and that content is non-critical of, of the uh, political system in China, and that obviously Beijing likes. But at the same time, what it is also doing, is providing a service and a content that if African audiences are interested in watching, they're welcome to watch, and if they are not, they can switch it to another channel. So um, the, the idea that everything that China is doing in Africa is soft power in the, in the media sector, obviously, uh, maybe it's no longer a useful uh, concept to, to work with.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with. I that. agree
1: with you. Yeah. Um, Sorry, so just to take it a little bit further, you know, it, it was so interesting for me that this LA Times report was, you know, was was taking this almost moral panic esque uh, <laughs> approach to this. You know, where, where I was like, okay, so you're in, you know, of you're you're in East Africa, you you're walking around definitely they would be Beyonce playing from some car window. Is that also not the same thing? You know, so why, you know, why, why is the consumption, the transnational consumption of, of American media, you know, not, not viewed through that same lens. Um, at the same time, I also think that frequently my, my experience in Africa and, you know, I'm a media scholar, but I, you know, I have worked in media myself and I, you know, lots of, Lots of people I know work in media. My experience generally is that people tend to be very, very interested in local content um, and a lot less interested in in foreign content as a whole. Um, I think there's a hunger in Africa to see them, to see. African people and African Kubis, situations Kubis, on
0: screen. That's not an African thing. That's a universal no, thing. Local news a universal is thing. always yeah. more than... No one really cares that much about what happens in other countries. I mean, exactly. to, your, to your point, though, the comparison with Beyonce, I, I don't think is the right comparison because that's an apples to oranges comparison. We don't apply the same type of rigor to Al Jazeera or to France 24 or to Voice of America. These are other government broadcasters. And, and I think in some ways that if we're going to call the Chinese with you know, CGTN, which is their news channel, propaganda, then we should apply that to the same to France 24, to RT, to Al Jazeera, which are also state funded in many ways. They're a form of propaganda. And so I just, you know, and okay, is propaganda a good word or bad word here in China? It's not a bad word. In the West, it's considered a bad word. So there is a relative way of looking at this. But I think if we're going to compare media outputs, um, it is, it really, we have to compare the other state broadcasters, and they're all doing this. China is no different than what Qatar is doing with Al Jazeera, in in my opinion. Uh, Danny, let me, let's talk a little bit about the output so we've talked about start times as the delivery mechanism of the content you've also done quite a bit of research on the the substance of the content and that is cgtn Mm. in particular so cgtn for those of you not familiar uh used to be called cctv china central television they have since rebranded themselves to be china global television news or television network i'm not sure which one
2: network Network.
0: network there we go um it is truly uh, some of the world's most boring television programming you're ever <laughs> going to watch. I mean, it is just god-awful. Uh, at least I'll say Al Jazeera and, and, and France 24 um, make a little bit of effort on on kind of making dynamic programming. <laughs> I mean, you know, you would think that someone like me who, who kind of consumes vast amounts of China news would love watching CGTN. And, and if I watch more than three minutes, it just puts me to sleep. That said... Um, One thing that you brought up in your research was while many people may not actually watch the channel, so the channel itself may not be popular, but people yet across the continent, particularly in South Africa and Kenya, where you did your research, may still be consuming Hmm. a lot of CGTN content. How are they doing that?
2: So what we found, we, I mean, one of the uh, research projects that I was involved with, uh, with uh, Herman Vastman at the University of Cape Town, we looked at how people actually engage with Chinese media. And what we found in Kenya, for example, is that um, even though CGTN is widely available uh, across the, the country, uh, people do not t- tune into CGTN. Usually, they just go past whatever it's number 120 on the uh, on the uh, Star Times package. But what they do is they tune into the local, the national broadcaster. So KBC, which is uh, the Kenyan national broadcaster, the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation, uh, it's a public state-owned uh, TV station, um, Gone into an agreement uh, a few years back with CGTN. At the time, it was called CCTV. And they agreed that uh, they would rebroadcast content of CGTN for one hour a day every night from 11 p.m. to midnight. Uh, and by the way, that time slot used to be uh, uh, for CNN. So KBC used to have an agreement with CNN that they would broadcast uh, CNN news from 11 to midnight. And now that spot has been taken over by CGTN. And there's two reasons why people end up watching uh, CGTN. One is that many Kenyans, before the digital migration, did only have access to KBC, so that national broadcaster. So if you're at home, it's 11 p.m. on a whatever day of the week it is, people would end up watching CGTN. And the second reason is that... Um, many of the people who end up working for CGTN are actually Kenyans. And those faces, that's Perina Karibe, that Beatrice Marshall, those faces, those journalists that are on uh, CGTN, sound and look very familiar to our Kenyan audiences. So at least in Kenya, people ended up watching that because either they had no choice or it just simply was familiar to them.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting to to hear how that actually, that actually works in, in real life um danny recently there's been a a lot of announcements of enhanced media cooperation between chinese state media and african media outlets so there's been a flurry in the last two weeks of these kind of announcements that oh there's going to be greater cooperation with nigerian media you know several of those events have happened across the continent what do you make of this sudden like a series of announcements of closer cooperation. And what do you think this, I mean, what would you guess would this kind of closer cooperation actually entail?
2: So, if we follow the, uh, the official narrative, right? So, after the uh, FORCAC, FORCAC is the uh, form of Africa and China cooperation that took place in uh, Johannesburg uh, in 2015. So, if we follow the official narrative, is that both uh, sides, China and African countries, agreed that there needed to be more media cooperation. And China is very happy to do that because. I feel that they've found out that it's actually through these cooperations. So when they're actually working with an African partner and they're either delivering services or content to African partners, that's much more effective than creating or or hoping or expecting that the local population would use uh, the the Chinese platform. And I think that a very good example is CNC. CNC is a TV channel owned by Xinhua. And CNC is probably the least well-known of all of China's foreign-oriented uh, media. So CNC is also on StarTimes. CNC is also on DSTV, but nobody watches. Even I don't think most people that we would ask wouldn't even know what CNC stands for. But CNC provides content also to local stations, like the one you mentioned in Nigeria. They got into an agreement with uh, the Ghana News Agency and with other providers. In South Africa, for example, they got into an agreement with the Independent Media Group, which uh, is now partially owned by a Chinese company as well. And through these agreements, they're providing the content, and this content then is re-delivered to local audiences without being told that it comes originally from a Chinese source. And it's through these agreements that content is being delivered, and that's much more effective than hoping that, I don't know, uh, any gentleman would say, okay, I'm going to watch CNC because I want to watch CNC.
0: Yeah. Danny, we're just about out of time, so I'd like you to do me a favor and just kind of step back and, and wrap up kind of where you see things going the combination of start times with over 10 i'm looking at the numbers again 10 million subscribers the growing presence of chinese media uh, both on the start times platform but also on traditional platforms traditional tv and increasingly digital as well what's your where's your research taking you in terms of what the near future holds for chinese media in africa
2: i think that what we need to be looking at in the future is that it's going to become normal or somehow normal that Chinese content is going to be distributed across the continent that some people will be watching it and some people will not be watching it. But um, maybe we need to stop thinking, as we mentioned before, right? That uh, this framework through which we always look at Chinese intervention is that, Oh, there's some dark idea behind it or dark uh, intention behind it. And what it simply is, is that a global power like China, It's going to go into the global TV market and the global content market. It's going to provide content to local audiences, and some of them will watch and some others will not. And if they watch, then they will know more about China. And if they don't, they will not know anything more about China than what they already know.
0: Danny Madrid-Morales is a PhD fellow in the Department of Media and Communications at the City University of Hong Kong, and he's uh, one of the foremost experts on Chinese media in Africa, in particular on Star Times, and this is definitely a company that if you're following this subject, you're going to want to keep an eye out for. Hey, Danny, do are you on social media anywhere? If people want to follow what you're reading and writing, is there any way for them to stay in touch with you?
2: I'm on Twitter, uh, and my handle is DMadridM, and they can find me there, and they will what i do and what
0: i write fantastic well we'll be following you there as well thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it
2: thank you for having me Copus, i gotta say that
0: i agree with danny wholeheartedly that you know this idea of every time china does something it is ascribed this kind of conspiracy with it and i have to say it before i get the emails and the tweets i am not saying this to defend china in any way Uh, You know, I've been accused of being a panda hugger uh, for these kinds of comments. Um, That's not the point. The point is the fact that I think that China is behaving like every other major power, as Danny pointed out. Um, We don't, and I think you mentioned this, too, we don't, you know, ascribe the the propaganda label to the VOA or to Radio France International or even to the BBC, which is publicly funded in many ways. Uh, The BBC is a little bit different beast, but certainly Al Jazeera, RT and these others uh, are, are all out there competing for audience shares. And I think that the Chinese, like they are in other industries, are behaving in many ways in a private sector capacity, with a private sector mindset, maximizing revenue, maximizing profitability. Uh, and, and is there a political component to it? Probably. There always is with these, with these kinds of companies. But is that the driving mindset? No, I don't think so. And that's where I thought the LA Times article was off base, and I tend to more agree with Danny
1: yeah I, I agree with you um, i think in the first place this rollout is so is so complex that uh, you know it's difficult to to ascribe a single motor to it you know it's, there's many motors happening at the same time one of which is definitely the uh, you know the idea of of taking control of the narrative which is something that that the Chinese government has always been very explicit about, it's, you know, saying that they they are they feel maligned by, or misreported on by, Western media. Western media has been very dominant in Africa, um, and they would like to get their own voice into that into that equation. Um, you know, I think from an African perspective, frequently, um, Western media is just as strident pushing Western ideas as the Chinese media is pushing its own ideas. So, it's a kind of a, you know, the, the mix is important rather than rather than uh, the idea of, of propaganda or not propaganda in this in the finally what i find fascinating about this especially the roll out of chinese soap operas in africa is it's a going to be amazing to hear what african people think of these chinese soap operas and in the second place it's going to be very very interesting to see how this influences african aesthetics because african media is exploding um africa has a youth bulge uh Um, The the music industry is exploding. African Instagram is amazing. African fashion press is exploding. Um, In the next... I'm willing to bet money that in 20 years from now, African youth culture is going to be the most influential youth culture on the planet. Uh, Maybe not 20 years, maybe 30 years, but I I think it is, African youth culture is going to be what Japanese youth culture was in the 90s. Um, And so, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Chinese influence kind of works its way in there, and how it changes the way that the young, up-and-coming African culture producers how they do they work
0: i'm a little um, skeptical of you on that one uh i think yeah, that they, i really? think the, the i mean I, you know in order to be as influential as you're suggesting they need to be there needs to be a giant infrastructure behind them so you look at what the koreans have done and and it's not just the shows it's not just the music It's this whole machine that's behind them that supports the K-wave, K-pop phenomenon. Same in the United States as well. And I'm not entirely convinced that Africa's entertainment infrastructure is strong enough to push that out.
1: I don't know that I agree with you. Maybe it's because I'm in South Africa. Because South Africa, you know, over the last 10 years, South Africa, for example, has emerged as a house music center as well. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the most influential house music you know, producing countries in the world, like South African house music is being played all over Europe, for example. Um, and they they don't I, I don't know with the internet whether one still needs though that old you know the, the 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 korean wave model anymore you know a lot of these people are just presenting their like putting their work online which doesn't mean that they necessarily make money out of it but it does mean that the that the influence is, is traveling um, i don't know we'll we'll see we'll we see what see,
0: happens uh, call me skeptical that the vast majority of the tracks uh, you listen to on spotify go to about you know 50 people Uh, Justin Bieber being one of them. Same thing, phenomena we've seen on YouTube. So, you know, while there is all this choice, you know, people still rally around Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, (laughs) K-pop, and, you know, these big kind of acts. That doesn't mean that there isn't room for other people. And I certainly think the Chinese are going to try to make their way in Africa to do this. Uh, But you can see this is a highly, highly contentious issue, a fascinating issue, and one that we're going to continue to follow, especially because, obviously, you know, Kobus and I have backgrounds in the media and something that we're interested in. But it is also fascinating because of how many lives uh, television touches, both on the infrastructure side as well as on the programming side. So let us know what you think, and if you want to kind of stay on top of a story like this, I highly recommend that you check out our uh, weekly email newsletter. Copus and I put it together every weekend. We send it out on Monday. We carefully curate five or six of the top stories. We find a good too-long-didn't-read article that you might uh, not have seen. And it's this kind of carefully crafted email that we put together every Monday and send out. And we would love for you to join our list uh, and and just to kind of stay in touch with also what we're doing. If you want to find out the latest, go to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com and you can sign up right there on the homepage. So that'll do it for this edition of the China and Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. Thank you so much for listening.